VoiceAmericaHealth.com. Have you ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jonathan Brower, and um, my show is called Human Behavior, What a Trip. And today we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Carol Bradley Bursack, and she's an expert on caring for the elderly. Uh, she has a lot of experience dealing with geriatrics and the surrounding issues people are faced with aging as well as their families aging. And also, um, she has a wonderful book out called Minding Our Elders. And this book of hers is used as a college text for gerontology and nursing home administration classes as a way to humanize for students the family caregiving experience. So um, when we talk about uh, human behavior, what a trip from birth to death is all part of that trip. So uh, I'd like to introduce you to my guest. Uh, we're going to be on a first name basis. I'm going to be Jonathan, and she's going to be Carol. Hi, Carol. Hi, Jonathan. Nice to hear from you. Likewise. So uh, you're up in uh, Montana or? North Dakota. I'm right yeah, on North- the, the border between North Dakota and Minnesota. Yeah. Right on the so, Red River of the North. Right. So you're in, in wild country, in my mind. <laughs> well, some people think it is. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, huge Indian uh uh, population there once upon a time. Yes, and uh, yeah. we we our local we have yes. three universities and colleges and universities, and the local team is the bison. So yes, yes, magnificent animals, by the way. They are. So, um, uh, tell us all how you got involved with your interest in gerontology and caring for elders and helping people uh, have a good experience uh, to the end of their life. <laughs> Well, Jonathan, I'm still figuring that out, I think, for myself. It is a gradual process. I grew up being close to my grandparents, which uh, when I was growing up was not that unusual. Uh, My paternal grandmother actually lived with us for quite a while. Uh Um, So this this was normal. And as I had my own children and they were starting to grow up, there was a neighbor next door. Um, His name was Joe. And he was 100% deaf. He'd lost his hearing in his 30s. Uh-huh. His wife died, and we really didn't know him too well, but it just seemed like he was terribly lonely. So uh-huh. my kids and I just kind of started taking care of him, and, and we basically adopted Joe, and he was ours for five years. So Joe was my first uh, elder that I directly cared for. Um, I became his primary caregiver because his only son lived out on the East Coast. Uh-huh. Um, then there was a slight break, but uh, my aunt and uncle, who never had children, had lived out in Virginia on the East Coast, and they moved out to be with us because they needed family, uh-huh. and they were older than my parents. So uh, then I ended up being a caregiver for them, especially for my uncle, who had had a, ma- a number of strokes, and uh-huh. from there it became 
my parents and my in-laws. My book actually was um, kind of a catharsis. Uh, after all of these, it was basically 20 years that I spent with all of these elders, um, at five at one point in time. Uh-huh. And uh, my dad had had a World War II brain injury and had recovered, and then in his later years, um, some fluid was building up in this brain tissue, and he had surgery that was to correct that, that sent him into instant dementia overnight. Oh, my. It was a horrifying situation. The medical people uh, didn't dare say anything went wrong, even though he was a totally different person. He lived that way uh, in kind of a dementia hell for 10 years. And uh, during that time, of course, my mother was alive um, also, but she was having her own health issues. And it just uh, snowballed, really. Uh, I call it caregiver creep because this happens with many people, maybe not as dramatically as it did with me. But we start out just doing some favors like I did for Joe. And then gradually you may pick up some groceries. And eventually you're taking him to the doctor and... Eventually, you become a full-blown caregiver, and that's what happened to me, except I wrote a book about it, and then I became a writer for major websites, and uh, just ballooned. I have a elder care column, and it's basically my business now. Okay, so Joe was the fellow who was deaf? Yes, he was, uh, and it was not just a little bit. It was 100%. We communicated uh, by Joe speaking and me writing on a tablet. Uh-huh. And I would, um, we call his son out in New Jersey every Sunday. Yeah. And I would put Joe on the line and then I would listen and then write down what his son said to him and that way they could have phone calls. Yes. And we went to many things together because I could, uh, mm-hmm. kind of became his translator. So, um, my question regarding Joe, after five years he left and well, went elsewhere? No, Joe died after about five years. He fell uh, oh, broke his hip. I see. That was his last fall, and he died within six weeks. I see. So if he hadn't died, would he have stayed with you for a longer time? Well, he was in his own home. It was right next door. Um, I, I expect eventually uh, he would have needed some, um, I don't know, nursing home care or something yeah. of that nature. However, knowing Joe's personality, I'm not surprised he went the way he did. He was beginning to lose his eyesight. You have to realize he couldn't hear at all. Yes. So his senses were going, which would have made his life pretty dreadful, and oh, he yes. knew it. And I think that after breaking his hip, he just plain, he gave up. I never saw him smile again. He lost his will oh. to live. Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah. So, so then with your father... Uh, he had this wound from the from the war, and then he recovered, and then he had surgery, and then right after the surgery was done, or during it, while it was done, he went to dementia? Yes, and I still do a lot of writing about this kind of situation, because there have been studies now these last years that... Um, some, this is not so terribly unusual. I hear from a lot of people because I write about it, they find me online. Uh-huh. And um, they don't know if it's the anesthetic, the hospitalization experience, just yeah. what it is. But there are a significant number of people, especially those at risk for some type of dementia. And of course, having had a closed head injury, though Dad showed no sign of it yes. before surgery, he, he would have been at some risk. There is... Um, 
it's beginning to be looked at as a significant number of people that do come, go in for surgery and it looks quite minor and come out yes. with full-blown dementia. Yeah. So my question basically is when after the surgery when your father was uh, uh, not drugged up with anything in particular, mm-hmm. um, how did he... How did he um, deal with his dementia? Did he did, did he did he recognize you? Did he know you? He did. Uh, there were some parts of his <laughs> dementia that would have almost been better if he didn't. He yes. retained his ability. It wasn't like a memory issue, as with Alzheimer's. Uh-huh. What happened is he became very paranoid. He was left with a voice in his head, and he couldn't tell reality from this demented world of his. I see. And um, what happened there is that eventually I realized that he was never going to be able to come back into our world, and I developed a system where I went into his world. And at the time, it was not accepted psychiatric thought, though through the years it did become something called the validation theory. I became his office manager. I wrote letters from people he thought he should get letters from. He had degrees all over his walls places he thought he should have them. <laughs> yeah. We had quite a time, but he had his own life that way. So was he able to have regular conversation with you? It depended on the day. Uh, uh-huh. There were times when he was very paranoid, and um, he would think uh, if he saw the news, there was a war outside or something of that nature, and it was very difficult to have any kind of a real conversation uh-huh. Uh, other times you could have a conversation with them, and um, it was not necessarily based on our reality, but it was based on his reality. And for anyone who could get into his world, then yes, he could carry it on, on a conversation. Uh-huh. He could always also speak Spanish, which had become um, was just a second language he'd learned in high school, uh-huh. and he loved speaking Spanish for some reason after the surgery. So he would really uh, sometimes. Be- Speaking to people we couldn't even see in Spanish. So, do you think there were in his younger days some Spanish-speaking people he particularly liked, and that may he be loved, one reason? My dad loved education. He loved cultures, uh-huh. and uh, he enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed um, learning Spanish. When he got his degree, the war had interrupted his his uh, education, and he got his degree. Actually, I was fourteen years old at the uh-huh. time, and um, at the time. There were many migrant workers in our area, um, for the farms, surrounding farms, and there were not many trained social workers, uh, as there are now, who spoke Spanish. Yes. So my dad would be called just because the city knew that he could speak Spanish. He'd be called to translate, and he loved it. Uh-huh. And so that was just almost a hobby for him. And uh, he just, he enjoyed all kinds of cultures, and he enjoyed everything from archaeology to space, so he had a wide, wide range of interests. Yeah. Well, what was his occupation? He, um, <laughs> he began, after his uh, brain injury, um, the uh-huh. Army kept him, they kept him in the Army um, after he learned to walk and talk again, and he'd come uh-huh. out of the coal mine and everything, and trained him to be a sanitarian in the Army. And uh, so then after he left the Army, he became um, a sanitarian here in Fargo, North Dakota. He grew to be the uh, director of the Division of Sanitation, took care of our uh, public health here. Yes. I see. So um, in the last 10 years of his life, 
when he had the dementia. Did he? Were you aware of him having enough pleasure, or did he have? I don't know enough is the right word, but were there certain things he liked? Whether it was eating ice cream or watching football on TV, did he have the things that he really enjoyed? We tried very hard. One of the saddest things was that I always knew that if Dad had to be um, curtailed in any way physically, he was a voracious reader. And uh-huh. after the surgery, he could not uh, follow both his eyes and his brain. He couldn't follow to read, and that was very sad. But uh-huh. he rediscovered his love of music. Uh-huh. And what, what I kind of music? Uh, kept big band music um, uh-huh. playing all the time, and I even got him a director's wand so he could uh, watch Lawrence Welk on TV and direct uh-huh. the band. Music was oh, so a big you, part you, of his you, life. You, you that gave him a great deal of pleasure. Yeah. Uh, the grandchildren visiting. I went to see them, see him every day. He was in a nursing home after this happened. He had, he needed specialized care. Yes. But uh, I visited every day, and um, then also he needed to believe. He needed to believe he was accomplishing things. This is uh-huh. vital. I think it's vital for everyone forever that yes. you are worth something that you're contributing, and that's where. This being his office manager came in. I made him business cards. Um, uh-huh. He needed to feel like he could pay for things, and so he would. I finally, after much agony, came up with the idea of having him leave his card when he ate dinner, saying uh-huh. that they'll put it on your tab. Um, well, that's he nice. needed to receive mail, so I sent him mail. Uh-huh. And from dignitaries, if that's what he thought. Uh, yeah. I joked with our, our mayor at the time that he didn't know it, but he'd written Dad quite a nice letter about our zoo. <laughs> uh-huh. So he needed to feel he was uh, accomplishing things, and when he did, that gave him pleasure. And during those ten years, did uh, did he want affection with you? Did he what? Want to have affection with you, hold, yes, hold you, a, kiss uh, you. We were a very... You. Uh, very affectionate family and uh-huh. uh, a huggy, kissy family all the time. And and then my yeah. mother, uh, I would pick her up to take her to the nursing home and until eventually, after a few years, she also moved into the same nursing home because of her disabilities. But every time uh, she'd walk down to his room, they'd kiss hello, they'd kiss goodbye, they held uh-huh. hands, everybody thought they were so cute. And I always kissed him hello and goodbye, and and we would always hug. Um, uh-huh. Affection was very important. And uh, shortly before he died, did he know that he was dying, or don't you know? He, uh, we ended up both with both my parents. As a matter of fact, pain became such an issue, and it became obvious they were nearing death, and they received wonderful hospice care. Uh-huh. Um, prior to going on hospice, he was pretty distracted by pain um, and not too communicative. But once he got on hospice care, he became more alert. And he was, we didn't talk about his death a great deal, but Uh he was aware. And his death was a wonderful experience for me, a beautiful experience in that uh, he died in my arms. He sat up. The nurses came in to to shift him and and make some adjustments. And he seemed to be doing okay, and then she just looked at me and she said, Carol, and I looked at her and I threw my arms around Dad, and he just laid his head on my chest and, uh-huh. and went to sleep. And it was, it was beautiful because he had suffered a great deal, and his passing was so peaceful, and he was, I really felt 
his spirit leave his body, I felt that he was one. He was set free from that cage. Yes. As you're telling me the story, I'm getting teary, crying a little bit, but it sounds beautiful. <laughs> it was. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was. Uh, my uncle's death was my first attended death, and um, that was an amazing experience for me as well. And was did he die of an old, very old age? Or what? Yes, and I'm, I'm, I need to make a point of this: is that uh, okay. all of the deaths that I have experienced, uh, I'm grateful to say, have been with very elderly people. The unfortunate part is most of them suffered a great deal prior to that time. Yes. Um, that does make their death easier to accept because you're, in fact, I talk about this and write about it. Some people feel guilty because they feel relief when someone dies. And I say, yeah. well, why wouldn't you if they're in pain? And there's a sense of grief, but there's also a sense of they're, they're moving on. And uh, with my uncle as well, I mean, he was insistent he didn't want, he was not on hospice, but he did not want um, anything to keep him alive, and I just yes. sat and I held his hand and um, talked with him and moistened his lips and things for several hours, uh, many hours. This was after the nursing home had called and said he looked like he was going. And he just, yes. um, he kept laying back and he would grab and holler, Marion, that was his wife's name, and he'd reach forward, reach up in uh-huh. the air saying, Marion, Marion, and eventually uh, he just laid his head back and he was gone. Yes, and so it really did give me goosebumps his last, too. Pardon? I'm sorry. Go on. I said it did give me goosebumps too. <laughs> yeah. So um, it sounds beautiful. So in the last few minutes or hours of his life, he had all kinds of emotions going on. Mm-hmm. And he was able to experience them. Yeah. Both my, um, all of my uh, elders did. I mean, this was my uncle who was hollering for his wife Marion, but with my dad, it was. Um, my mother was with him as much as she could be, but my dad and I had a chance to be, we had been so close during those 10 years because yes. um, I had gotten in this world, and so his death was, was just uh, one last togetherness um, physically just to, to hold him. And yeah. uh, I still feel him with me when I'm working, when I'm writing. He's on the cover of my book. Yeah. and uh, That's great. Just feel him with me. Yes. So I think we're coming up to the first break, and we'll come back in a couple of minutes. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. 
SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Carol Bradley Bursack. And uh, Carol, during the break, you and I were talking about what we might talk about next. And um, one of the things you came up with is um, living life, whether you're having dementia or Alzheimer's or fully um, f- full of no problems whatsoever. So uh, t- briefly, at least, to talk about your version of about living life and how it should best be done, even with uh, major problems in the way. Well, in, in Minding Our Elders, our book, my book, as well as um, many of the other uh, websites that I write for, I talk a great deal about the stigma of dementia, and that's yes. a problem in our society. There's a stigma of mental health issues and with dementia. Uh, people kind of have the idea that people that someone is um, just fine one day and then they get the dementia diagnosis and then they may as well hang it up. Yes. And that is just absolutely not true. Uh, People with Alzheimer's, I mean, they have a unique perspective. They can um, offer insights. Uh, There are, um, there's often great interest in art Music, uh-huh. uh, theater. There's some. Uh, there's a theater group uh, that has actually done uh, improv using uh, people with dementia that helps keep them going. They just can. They can continue to lead a, a life that is meaningful to them for, through the many of the stages, the beginnings to the middle stages, and even toward the end. And uh-huh. another thing that I really, really stress is that we should never from the outside decide that even a person in stage seven doesn't have any idea what's going on, even if they act like they don't. Uh-huh. So we must treat them with the dignity and respect that they deserve and as though they know what we're saying because we don't know. Yes. Um, for many people who don't know, would you mention the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? Surely. Uh, they're actually, dementia is as a catch-all, um, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's is thought to be the most common type of dementia, uh-huh. but there is also uh, vascular dementia that's fairly prevalent, especially with people who've had strokes. There's frontal temporal um, dementia, which is another kind that changes personalities quite drastically and can be very, very difficult on a spouse. Um, there uh-huh. are probably dementias they don't even know about at this point. Okay. But Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia. So, um, in general, this is, this is very broad, but at what age in, 
At what time in a person's aging does dementia become more probable? Like in the 50s, well, 60s, there, 70s? There are two kinds. I mean, we all, um, as we age, become more at risk. Age is a risk factor. Yes. And uh, anyone um, in, say, in their 80s has a fairly high chance. Uh-huh. Not everyone will develop dementia. However, there's something else that's called early onset dementia, and this is affecting people even in their 40s and 50s, and this is more likely to have a genetic base. But uh-huh. it's, it's horrifying because people are, are still working often. They're many, many times raising children, and um, then they, you know, they sometimes can keep working for a while, but often... They need to quit, and it becomes a financial burden that's very difficult. So there's those two things going on, but the most common kind of dementia comes with age, and the older we get, the more at risk we are. Um, And I believe that by the time we're 85, I think it's about a 50-50 chance. I'm not, I can't give you, I'm not real good at statistics. I can give you that specifically, but I think it's around there. So for, for for people who have early onset dementia, are there drugs that can help them slow down their dementia? Um, there are some drugs that do help some people or are thought to help some people. There's some controversy about it, but there are a couple that are supposed to slow down um, the progress. There's nothing yet to stop dementia once it starts. And it's also thought dementia may start anywhere from 10 to 20 years before there's any symptoms. Uh-huh. So there's just a huge amount of research going on. Yes. Um, there have been many, uh, you know, just like with the heart, the Alzheimer's Association has a saying, what's good for the heart is good for the brain, and they recommend people who don't have symptoms or if they do have symptoms to do all the things you would for your heart, exercise, good diet, um, the um, antioxidants, uh, and keeping your mind active, all of these things can help. And some people do believe, some studies have shown that may slow down symptoms, but it's kind of hard to measure. Uh-huh. And the okay. drugs, too, are kind of hard to measure because nobody's too sure how fast that dementia would progress in the first place. Yeah. So, so people who have brain injuries, whether it's concussions or other kinds of brain injuries, uh, how does this all fit in, fit in with... Uh, dementia and uh, you're much more at risk. In fact, the NFL um, players yes. are being studied uh, frequently because yes. uh, that's an occupational hazard for a professional football player. And yes. there's even controversy about um, still developing brain, uh, brains of high school children yes. um, and getting their brains knocked around and playing football or hockey, um, yes. those kinds of sports because. The more times your brain has been knocked around or you've more concussions you've had, it yes. looks as though in the studies, it appears as though your rate, your chance of developing Alzheimer's increases significantly. And by studying NFL players, they're seeing this um, statistically, the chance yes. is there. And so it's, uh, it's very, very worrisome. Yes, another uh, variation of this is when a parent in a rage... Uh, takes their child by the shoulders and starts, you know, pushing them back and forth, oh, and their yeah. brain in their head is getting all banged up. Yeah, the and shaken that, baby syndrome. That would be. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. That would be. Yeah. Uh, could be a very a basis. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, our brains are um, not not well protected. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they aren't, yeah. and uh, they'll move around in the skull, and that's that's the issue. Yes. I know of a lady who uh, was a golfer, and one day she moved her golf cart on the golf course, and she fell over out of the golf cart, and she hit her head on the oh. on the cement uh, path for the golf carts to go, and uh, she had a hell of a time dealing with her brain injury. She, yeah, that it, that's all yeah. it takes at times. Yeah, and yeah. memory issues can develop, and it can be enough, especially if, because they say dementia may be developing 10 or 20 years before we have symptoms. Uh, if yeah, a person yes. is in middle age uh, or a bit older, depending on what we term middle age these days, and they have a brain injury, it may be just enough to tip them over the edge, as we were talking about in the earlier segment about surgery. Yes. Um, some of these traumas, maybe just enough to tip them over the edge into memory issues or dementia. Yes. It's a big problem. Yeah. So um, uh, what stage in your life did you start becoming very very much involved with, with all this kind of work? Well, it started, of course, with, with my neighbor Joe when I was about 40. And um, yeah. it, it, as I mentioned earlier, tends to creep up on you. But during my... Um, say 45 to 55, I was caring for multiple elders as well as raising children. I was uh-huh. part of the sandwich generation before that term was coined uh-huh. and uh, trying to take care of multiple people. And uh, my mother was the last to die, and so I was then um, in my late 50s. So uh-huh. I, I, I spanned... Um, you know, between 15 and 20 years, depending on how I measure it and who the people are. Yeah, yes. um, Late to mid-50s is when that part ended. So it's, it, it was a longer period for me, but I, I think that's what makes people relate to me as a family caregiver because I've been, I've raised children while I've done it. I've also had my own, own health issues while I've uh, taken care of others. Uh-huh. How old are you I today? Span the whole thing. What is your age? If I may ask. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. What What is your current age? My, How old are you? I'm, I am now 67. Aha. Uh-huh. I'm 68 as of today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what you said last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and what age were you when you started writing books about all this stuff? I began writing uh, my book during my dad's. Uh, the the worst of it with my dad. I think I just needed to get out my own stories and also uh, what I was doing. See, my near elders is uh, it's called the full title is caregivers share their personal stories. And uh-huh. I my dad um, I had been caring for him I guess about five years, and I began writing the book um, in oh I suppose two thousand. I, I don't remember exactly, 2002, yeah. something like that. But I also, because okay, I too. spent every day at the nursing home a great deal of the time, I was meeting uh-huh. other caregivers, and we we supported one another. And there were not groups around so much at that point in time. There wasn't much access yeah. on the Internet where people were helping one another. And uh, we were able to to ask each other how it was going or just hold each other and cry sometimes. Uh-huh. 
And yeah. I decided when I was writing my own stories about other, my, the book is divided up into very small stories of each of my caregiving experiences, um, and oh. then 20 other people's stories so that a caregiver can find one they relate to and, and they're only maybe four or five pages long. I hear uh-huh. from people who have it on their nightstand because they relate to one caregiver's story. But I spent a yes. few years uh, writing then, and uh, the book was published in 2005, and it's it's a classic. It just uh, keeps on going. So uh, good. So um, I want people to know about your website. It's called Mind Minding Our Elders dot com. That's correct, and yeah, the uh, blog that's associated with it, Minding Our Elders Blogs dot com, uh, uh-huh. updates daily. And I, this is where my writing, my, my newspaper column, my writing for healthcentral.com's Alzheimer's site, for agingcare.com and, and um, Next Avenue, PBS, other air, people that I write for. This all comes together on my blog so people can find the uh, links to my ongoing. I've written thousands of articles since the book was published. Um, yes. And so they all come together on the blog. Okay, good. So uh, I want us before we go to break. I want to mention again, uh, it's mindingourelders.com, and also there's mindingourelders.blog.com. Blogs with an so, S, yes. Blogs with an S, yes. Okay. So we're coming up for a break, and uh, here we hear the music coming. So we'll be back in a short amount of time. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower back with Carol Bradley Bursack. And before we go on, I want to mention 
the number, phone number you can call in right now if you want to uh, ask a question or make a statement. The phone number is 866-472-5792. So if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to call. Okay, so Carol, we're back to talking about the elderly and how they manage and don't manage. And so um, let's talk about the people who are specifically in... Um, uh, what were you called? Elderly housing? What would, what would the term yeah, be? senior housing or assisted living, housing. nursing homes, that kind of thing. Okay, senior housing and nursing homes. And uh, many of these people who are there as uh, patients, they uh, frequently don't have much contact with their family and friends. And uh, when it's time to go to bed, they often get lonely. And so what happens in some of these uh, senior housing um, places, uh, uh, people will get in the bed and, and hold each other and hug and maybe even kiss and maybe even be sexual at times. And, of course, for some people this sounds horrendous. For other people it sounds beautiful. So um, uh, help us go through <laughs> the uh, different degrees of what these people do. Well, it's it, this is controversial, and it's coming up more and more. Um, nursing home administrators are, understandably, they they get concerned because uh, they wonder about consent if somebody has yes. dementia, and so it, in the past that kind of behavior was discouraged. But it's it's becoming yes. more understood that people need touch. And uh, whether, you know, however we want to define sexuality, it doesn't necessarily have to be like when people are 25. But our society, unfortunately, has a, a strange view that as people age, um, sexuality disappears. And, and that is even um, holding hands or having somebody's yes. arms around you. And that really never goes away. Um, yes. Sandra Day O'Connor's husband uh, had Alzheimer's. Supreme Court, retired uh-huh. Supreme Court uh, justice, and uh, yes. there was a beautiful story there. She she was uh, wonderfully understanding, and they had had a wonderful marriage. Her husband was in a nursing home with Alzheimer's, and he did not remember his wife anymore. But he fell uh-huh. in love. He uh-huh. and a woman in the nursing home fell in love, and yes. they held hands and they had this wonderful relationship. And she was kind enough, Sandra Day O'Connor was kind enough and understanding enough to realize that this brought them happiness, and it had yes. nothing to do with the prior marriage. And of course, not everyone yes. is that, that understanding, but it's an example yes. of how people need, they, they need these kinds of relationships, and yes. um, in nursing homes or in senior living or often uh, in assisted living or senior communities, you'll read about elderly couples who've decided to marry. And uh-huh. these are ge- not generally people who have uh, dementia, but they they still want that closeness. They still want to have a mate. Yes. Has there been any uh, movie made on this, on this kind of thing? Movies? I'm not aware. Yeah. Um, there have been... Um, I can't think of any offhand, but I know that there have been some. Uh, it's becoming almost trendy to use Alzheimer's and dementia in movies. Yeah. And um, one thing that I, this goes way back, and it doesn't include dementia, but I think it was maybe one of the first 
uh, to focus on an older couple was the old movie on Golden Pond. Uh, the oh, old, yes. old couple there. And, um, but our, I think that society is getting somewhat wiser in that they are recognizing, uh, even if they can't imagine grandma falling in love with the gentleman down the hall, uh, they are realizing that that older people do have um, uh, feelings for one another, and that they do have needs for um, for this kind of contact. And and it's it's very difficult for families because if they aren't sure about the consent, it's it's, uh-huh. it's just a difficult choice yes. to make. And so it, it's being discussed a great deal. But my personal feeling is that people, uh, if no one is, is being injured or no one doesn't want um, the, a person to touch them or yeah. be in contact, if they both want contact, that should be allowed. I totally agree, yes. I think it would be wonderful. Well, these people are in these nursing homes or senior housing places, um, do they normally eat together or do they eat in their same in their own rooms or how do they do that usually? Well, they, they vary widely and we are very, very fortunate in my part of the country to have excellent forward-looking nursing homes um, and assisted living uh-huh. uh, where hands-on care is and... Um, the one-on-one kind of um, care is is very um, much part of the day, and uh-huh. they generally, if a person is able, there uh, people are encouraged to eat in the communal dining room. Yes. and of course, some of these people need to be fed as well. And but uh-huh. generally speaking, they, that's part of assisted living or even a nursing home environment is that socialization is very, very important in the aging process. Yeah. And even in maybe slowing dementia or preventing it, um, socialization has been brought up as, as something that's important. Yeah. So, and so some of these people aging actually, communities uh, can help people that way. Yeah. So some of these people, they're eating in the group uh, in the group room, so to speak. They actually enjoy each other and they have fun. They do. Many of them uh, like a certain table, and uh, this uh-huh. also goes for. Uh, certain facilities where people, they play games. Um, these days, many facilities have a Wii, um, you know, the technology as it is on TV, they have a, a Wii um, computer system where they, uh-huh. they can bowl, they form bowling leagues, yeah. and they can play other kinds of games, get a great deal of exercise, and much of this is communal. Uh-huh. That's great. And then uh, how many people normally are in a room together for sleeping purposes? That depends on, uh, well, money and choices. Um, In my part of the country, most of the good nursing homes have a a certain number of of, uh, single rooms. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, they're generally the only way you're going to do that is your private pay, which is most people start out if they have any assets at all, they start out paying their own way. Yeah. Um, if they run out of assets, which is not very hard to do at the cost of nursing homes, even if you had what you thought was a comfortable retirement, um, number of years in a nursing home, even a number of months, but especially when it goes into years, can eat up a uh, person's assets. Yes. And um, they may end up on Medicaid, 
which uh, then you need to share a room uh, because yes. it, the government helps pay for that. But, of course, people can also choose to share a room, and if a couple is in a nursing home, uh, they often share a room. Now, my parents each had a private room for a number of years because of sleeping issues, that kind of thing, and they just, they, they liked that. But when they got closer to the point where it was obvious dad was getting close to death and mom probably wouldn't be far behind, uh-huh. they moved into a shared room. Uh-huh. And so couples will often do that um, by choice. But otherwise, uh-huh. a lot of people like their own room unless they can't afford it. Yeah, I would imagine if I were in a situation, if my roommate was someone who was lively enough, I'd rather be with someone have the company than just be by myself. Uh, that that happens, and I mean, if if I've I saw a couple or people, a couple of women I know became best friends as roommates, yeah. and they did very well. Um, uh-huh. The problem that can occur is is people uh, personality conflicts, that kind of thing. You're living in pretty close quarters. And uh, so, you know, there are personality issues. Most most uh, homes will try to uh, make compatible arrangements, and if there's anything really serious where people are very incompatible, they'll try and do what they can to to um, make switches uh-huh. so that people yeah. can be happier with their roommates. Uh, but, yes, it's true. Some people enjoy their roommates. And, of course, others don't. Uh, it's just like young people. Say you're in college. Some people it works, yes. some it doesn't. And then uh, if they're, let's say, roommates, and then they've been roommates for quite a while, then one of them dies, there must be a big loss for the other one. It's a very big loss, and it isn't even just roommates. It is in the home itself. Um, yeah. I have, and this is one of my gauges for when I know that there's a, a very good facility, is I often would walk in in the morning and I'd see one of my uh, favorite uh, certified nursing assistants walking yeah. down the hall wiping tears from her eyes, and I'd know that she had lost one of her people. Yes, that's And, uh, well, in fact, when my uncle was dying, I'll never forget how broken up his, his primary yeah. aide was. Uh, I was actually comforting her because she was, I mean, yeah. I was, it was amazing to me and so heartening because she loved him and he was not easy yeah. to care for. Yes. But she loved him. But yeah. also what happens is that. I, I, need, I, need to, I need to interrupt you. We're going to take a, one last break. Sure. And we'll come back, so. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-535. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. 
SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. Again, I'm with my guest, Carol Bradley Bursack, and we're talking about the elderly years and dementia and all that kind of stuff. So uh, right before the last break, um, you were talking, um, Carol, you were talking about uh, the body bags and the flowers? Uh, yeah, so we were talking about how people um, in a, a home situation, nursing home or assisted living, will miss someone dearly uh, after they die. And uh, I saw a great deal of that. First of all, they may have dementia, but that doesn't mean they're not intelligent. And when, um, even though most nursing homes and funeral homes try to be as quiet as they can about removing the inevitable bodies because you're dealing with an aging population who will be have a high death rate. Uh, people are aware of what's going on. And yes. so you can feel a sadness. Some of the people get actually quite wry about it and, and a little bit jaded and they'll kind of, well, there goes another one. <laughs> it depends a great deal on their personality. But if it's a friend, it can affect them deeply. And uh, one of the things that was uh, the nursing home did I thought was really quite wonderful is that people want to be kind, um, and when there's a funeral of someone's uh, grandmother or mother or whatever, you know, flowers at the funeral, what do you do with them? Oh, let's drop them off at the nursing home. But funeral flowers have a distinct look. And so... (laughs) The, the people, the uh, residents at the homes would know right away that somebody had died because they'd see all of these funeral arrangements in the, in the entryway of the nursing home and it would become almost amusing at times. But what yes. uh, Rosewood did at the time where my, my family was is they would break down those, those bouquets and uh, often have beautiful little small nosegays on all of the tables in the dining room and making things cheerful and it, and that takes away that they they get to enjoy the flowers without that feeling of death hanging over them yes okay so um let's go to the next topic the value of elders uh, i'll speak about that in our culture how many people dismiss the elderly but it can teach us a lot we do have a problem of ageism um, in our culture where people are dismissed as they age um, often and uh, it's, it's really uh, a very sad situation because even in the work, workplace, um, and I think, you know, technology has made this worse because the young people are, are very uh, 
very tuned into technology and quick to learn anything new, and they'll sometimes look down upon someone who's in their 40s, 50s, or 60s and a little slower on the uptake with the technology and overlook the fact that this person is carrying 40 or 50 years of experience from the job market and just plain life experience. And uh, yes. if, if people get over the ageism and realize that they can learn from these people, if they listen and understand yes. that being older doesn't make you suddenly um, stupid. It, it generally yes. uh, can make people quite wise. If it, Not everyone. Not every Age doesn't automatically make people wise. But people who yes. are insightful and pay attention to their lives can often have a great deal uh, to offer up until the time they die. Yes. I agree totally. I, one thing that I do is um, often when I speak, uh, I, I compare uh, the aging process uh, to, say, a rose um, where you have the rosebud, which would be the young person and opening up and fresh and blooming. And then little by little, uh, a petal falls off here and a petal falls off there, but it doesn't mean that the person or the rose is gone yes. or has no value or never lived for that matter. And I use this image when I talk about legacy, because every person, every human being who has lived has, has a legacy. They have lived their life in a certain way, and uh, it, this, this should be honored. And often, there again, if people will take the time, instead of rolling their eyes and saying, oh, Grandpa's telling that same story again, maybe if they really took time to listen, they could find out they are missing um, a great deal of the details because they're too busy wondering what how they can get out of this situation. And if they actually listen, they may find things that are interesting. I um, I do feel that one of the biggest gifts we can give to our elders is active listening yes. to their stories. Uh, let them tell about their lives. There are projects that work with World War II veterans now. Uh, what people are they're realizing. Are losing these invaluable stories about World War II as these veterans are dying. So now there's this mad scramble to try and record their stories. And it, it's yes. really kind of sad that it took this long to be noticed. But it's not just the World War II veterans. It's, it's all of our elders. They have a story to tell. And what they have lived, when they look back at life with some perspective, can have great value for the younger generation if people care to learn. Yes, and some of those stories can even be people who uh, did very bad things, who were murderers or felons of some sort, and um, what they did was wrong, but with the with the perspective of many years, they can uh, talk about it in a way that may be useful for younger people to hear. Absolutely, they may be yeah. able to um, talk about how they can, uh, you know, if they had made better choices when they were younger. Uh, people, yes. Younger people can learn from the older people if they, if they listen to this. Of course, if the people yes. don't have a clue when, when they're 90 and don't care, that's a different thing. But many people, as they get older, say, I can be honest and say, I wish I would have made different choices or I'm glad I made this choice. Uh, yes. Even though it caused me pain, I learned from it. 
so there there can be, as you say, it doesn't have to be a sterling life to be valuable. Uh, if there is some insight, younger people can learn from it. Yes. And then also uh, there are occasions where uh, set up for people who are very elderly, whether in dementia or otherwise, with young toddlers. And uh, it's good for both of those age groups. Absolutely. Uh, older people tend to enjoy uh, at least small doses of younger children. A uh, number of the forward-looking nursing homes have actually had daycare centers in them. Uh-huh. And um, while older people may tire and don't necessarily need to have two-year-olds running around them at all times, having them walk by gives them a great deal of joy and seeing them play. And uh, most yeah. nursing homes will bring in um, youngsters for all oh, the holidays to sing and that kind of thing. And, and the nursing homes in my area generally have yes. uh, opened them up for trick-or-treating. And the elders are given candy, and they can see the kids in their costumes. And it's, it's quite an exciting time for many of them because they get to see, they see life. And instead uh-huh. of, you know, everyone around them being, being uh sick and older and they see a lot of death just because of the age. They get to see life. And also with yes. animals, um, pets. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. another way that people can, um, can, can increase the quality of life is to see, see the younger generation. One thing my, my sons did when my um, dad was in the nursing home was they were in uh, high school and junior high and high school band. Uh, they would take their instruments up to the nursing home and, and play when they visited uh-huh. Grandpa. And not only did he love it, but other people would come out, and they happened to be quite good musicians, <laughs> and yeah. they'd, they'd come to the doorway and stand and listen, and they'd smile at the boys when they came in and left, you know, with their instruments. Uh, it does bring joy to, to uh, share the generations. It's not natural to to... Divide up generations into little, little uh, groups. Units, yeah, yeah. Yeah, units. Right. We should be able to intermingle, and because of um, our situation now, where people tend to live to be quite old and are often quite sick, and we're a mobile society, nursing homes are more of a um, are used more than they were, of course, in the past when there was a mother at home and that kind of thing. But yes. they need to to try and still have all kinds of age groups involved in senior right. living. Yes, until and we that's die. Good for, as you mentioned, people. good yes. for the young people as well. Yeah. Well, our time is up. I'm so glad we had this chance to talk. And uh, I really commend all you do to help these people. And you've enlightened uh, me on some of the issues involved with this. So thank you so much for being a guest. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I really enjoyed it. Okay, we'll stay in touch. Okay, that sounds great. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip! with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com.